I just love Christmas Eve at night. I don't know what it is about Christmas Eve, and probably because I grew up when we go to a midnight mass, and even though um, any other day of the week that mass didn't mean much to me, but on Christmas Eve it just seemed so special, um, so special, and so I've always pulled and pushed for us to have a night. Honest, if it was me, we'd have this service at midnight. Uh, we did it last year at 10 o'clock, and they're always whittling me back. Um, and so it's at 7 o'clock. I'm sure next year it'll be at 10 in the morning. Um, but uh, um, I, uh, I like just having it at night, and I hope that uh, uh, you guys appreciate it too, and I'm glad you took the time out to be here. Luke 2 says, At that time, the Roman Emperor Augustus decreed that a census should be taken throughout the Roman Empire. This was the first census taken when Quirinius was governor of Syria. All returned to their own ancestral towns to register for this census. And because Joseph was a descendant of King David, he had to go to Bethlehem in Judea. So there's two schools of thought here that Joseph returned to Bethlehem because that was his hometown or he returned to Bethlehem because that was David's hometown and he was of the lineage of David. So either way, he had to return to Bethlehem, and it says it's David's ancient home. So you see the emphasis in King David. Um, King David was born in Bethlehem. Joseph was a descendant of King David, and it's very, very important because we know Jesus descended from David. That's why the blind man would cry out to him, Son of David. And so lineage is very, very important in Scripture. And so Joseph is returning home. He traveled there from the village of Nazareth in Galilee. He took with him Mary, to whom he was engaged, who was now expecting a child. Um, this was uh, uh, not cultural um, for a guy to have a, a pregnant gal with him that he's not married to. He's just engaged to her. And while they were there, the time came for her baby to be born. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth, laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. And the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him by the sign. You'll find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them, Father in heaven, may not just the story of Christmas, but the meaning of Christmas take hold of our hearts today. And Father, may we walk away with truth from your word that we can apply to our hearts and to our lives as we journey with you. And maybe we're not going from Nazareth to Bethlehem, but Father, we are on a journey with you. And so, Father, meet us here. On the eve of your son's birth, we ask and pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It says that Joseph and Mary traveled from Nazareth 
to Bethlehem. I don't know if you've looked it up, but we're talking about approximately 85 to 90 miles from Nazareth to Bethlehem if they went through Samaria. Now, what was the big deal with Samaria? And what were the big deal, what was the big deal with Samaritans? And why was it so unusual for Jesus to be speaking to a Samaritan woman at the well? And why was it so unusual for, out of the three, a good Samaritan to bind up the man that was wounded and had been beaten up on the side of the road? Why were Samaritans sticking out so much in Scripture? It's because Jewish people did not like Samaritans. In fact, if they had a choice, they would walk around Samaria. They wouldn't go through it. They considered them half-breeds. They didn't consider them a pure race, and they didn't want anything to do with them. They were on the lower rung, and they didn't want anything to do with them. And Joseph and Mary had a choice, and that was to go around Samaria, as most Jewish people would have been that day, or to go through Samaria. Well, I don't know about you, but if I had a wife who was pregnant, and there was 85 to 90 miles to travel, and that was the shortest route. How many of you know that I would probably have gone that way? And so you do what love requires. So Mary's very pregnant. The journey is very long. And if you think about it, nothing is comfortable about this entire situation, nothing at all. They arrive and end up lodging in a stable with hay and a manger, and all of this at the hand of the Father. All of this at the hand of the Father. Doesn't it make you think that at times then, if it wasn't easy for Joseph and Mary, Mary who was carrying the Savior of the world in her womb, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, if it wasn't always easy for them, why is it that we as Christians believe it's always supposed to be easy for us? Why is it that we go through some of the most difficult times understanding when the road is hard, when everything about Jesus' birth, about our salvation, said it wasn't easy. And so everything that we believe, our faith is based upon long journeys and suffering and taking stands for our faith and not shrinking back when the times are difficult. I want to challenge you tonight to really, really look at the story and everything that this young couple, teenagers, most likely had to go through. Had to go through. Can you imagine being 14, 15, 16 years old, roughly, Joseph and Mary. He's got a woman that he's not married to, he's only engaged to, she's pregnant. Culture shock. And they're traveling 85 to 90 miles because they have to, because of a census being taken. And they're going through an area that most of them would not want to go through because those people are looked down upon. The journey is unpleasant. Some of the places that they have to go through are unpleasant. And what everybody might think about them is unpleasant. They don't fit in anywhere. They don't fit in anywhere. And what are you going to tell everybody when they ask, are you married? Well, we're engaged. But she's pregnant. Yes, she is. Is it your child? No, it isn't. Who says that? You wouldn't believe me if I told you. (laughs) They're not fitting in. How uncomfortable. You can't even defend yourself with their story. Joseph couldn't even defend himself. So they didn't even try. They just did what God told them to do. You know what? I don't think it matters what everybody else thinks. I think it matters that you do what God tells you to do. And if you do what God tells you to do, then everybody else will see the fruit. Everybody else. The Bible says that wisdom is known by its fruit. Wisdom is known by its children. 
Wisdom is known by its offspring. And when you're walking with God, there is healthy fruit that is born. There are healthy offspring that are birthed. It's always healthy and it's always good. To me, this says so much about whom God chooses to reveal himself to. Looks like God chooses to reveal himself to the humble, the unassuming, those lacking great status. Isn't it amazing that God didn't look for people that had the most influence, but he looked for humble people and he gave them great influence? Always amazes me. So Mary gives birth. Scripture says unto us, a child is born, unto us a son is given. Because Jesus just wasn't their child, he was God's only son. So unto us a child is born, unto us a son has been given. God so loved the world that he gave In Matthew's gospel, it says wise men from eastern lands begin looking for Jesus by the time they find Jesus. In Matthew 2, 9, and 10, he's no longer a baby in a manger, but a child in a house. May have been as long as a year for the wise men to find Jesus, so there was a long journey before birth and an even longer one for the wise men after birth. Seems like everything about the birth of Jesus required a journey. And we read it in just a few sentences, and so we don't think it's very long. But we weren't the ones traveling 85 to 90 miles on a donkey with a child. We weren't the ones that were following a star for a year. Everything about this, the journey to the birth, the journey after the birth, everything says that real believers don't quit, they stay on course. That real believers don't sway to the right, to the left. They know what their journey is all about. They know where they're going and they'll know when they get there. And I said it yesterday morning, we're still following a star too, and he's the bright and morning star, and we're still following him today. Nothing changed. Nothing changed from the wise man till today. They followed a star, we're following a star. And that star's name is Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Scripture says in Daniel chapter 12, I'm just thinking about this. It says that those who lead many to Christ will shine like the stars. Something about stars in Scripture. Something about a star indicating the home where the child Jesus was. Something about Jesus being called the bright and morning star. Something about pastors in Scripture being called stars, the seven stars in the book of Revelation. Something about stars are very significant in Scripture. Probably a study there if we'd want to pursue it. Before birth, Joseph and Mary did what the law required. After birth, the wise men did what their hearts required. I was thinking about this. Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem because that's what the law required, and they did what they were told. After the birth, those wise men, in just based on a single star, they did what their hearts required. They did not, they did not go from the right or the left. They stayed right on course, and they followed the star until they reached the home where the child was. They get there and they worship him and they give him these amazing gifts. This is where I wanted to go tonight and I'm really hoping that it resonates within you. Love is never defined by distance but destination. It's never defined by distance. When you love, distance doesn't matter. The destination matters. And if your destination is to spend eternity with God, then the distance and the journey, it really doesn't matter. You notice how not much emphasis was put on how long the journey was in either instance? You would think that they would have went into some detail. 
you know, Joseph and Mary's journey, you, you, know, the, you know, where they would spend the night, because you know this was more going to be more than a day. You, you, you would have you thought, we don't get any of that in Scripture. For whatever reason, God just did not seem to think that the journey, those long journeys that were made by Joseph and Mary and by the wise men didn't seem to think that they were significant because the destination was significant. Man, just make it to that stable, that, get that baby in that manger. Just make it to the house so that you can see the child king. Just make it there. Just make it there. It's always about the destination. And see, we want to make it all about every little twist and turn that we, that we have to go through. But with God, I don't think it is about all the twists and the turns. I think it's about the destination. And you don't take your eyes off the prize. Isn't it amazing? Isaiah 26.3 says he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him. So even our very pieces determine what we're focused and what we're stayed upon. It's never what you're going through. It's always what you're going to. We want to make it about all of the things that we have to go through. We want to make it about the predicaments and the situations and the, and the trials and everything that we face now. But I guarantee you it's not about that. I just don't think that when I get to heaven, God's going to say, John, that must have been a very, very difficult time for you right then in that period right there. He's going to say, well done. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That's what he's going to say because it's about the destination. It's not about the distance. And when you love, miles don't matter, do they? They really don't matter. I didn't care how far I had to drive to go see my wife, and I didn't care what time it was when we were dating. I, and I remember waking up, and the, and the guardrail was right there when I woke up, and I'm driving on the highway, and I thought, oh, man, roll the window down, turn the music up. And I wasn't far away from my house, but it didn't matter. I just had to see her. I just had to see her. Because love isn't, isn't about a journey. It's about a destination, and love commits, and love isn't based on feelings. Love commits and says, we're going to make it through this, and it doesn't matter. I don't know why some people are trying to redefine what love is. It's real easy. It's a destination. It's an action. It's a goal. It's a purpose. Love knows where it's supposed to go and when. Love does because there's plenty of enough time for thinking along the way. Love just does because there's plenty of time to think along the way. Can't you imagine Joseph and Mary? Maybe they're planning for the journey, and you know, and you know, we need to talk about this. We do, honey. We got plenty of time to talk. Come on, let's go. I think there's plenty of enough time to talk about stuff. I think it's important that you just simply embark. So where there's love, miles and months fly by, and it's amazing. Growing up, and I'm sure you could say the same. I was led to believe that Mary and Joseph's journey was short and the wise men arrived shortly after Jesus' birth. Isn't that how it's portrayed on TV? I mean, the wise men show up and Jesus is still a baby in a manger. That wasn't it at all. Scripture says that when the wise men arrived, he was a child in a house, not a baby in a manger. He could have been a year old or better. It was a long journey, a long journey. But we got to summarize things and we got to encapsulate things and we want it hot and we want it now and we want it quick and we want it fast and we don't want to endure through this. But my Bible says love suffers long and is kind because that's what love does. Love doesn't quit. Love doesn't get up, give up. Love doesn't pack it in. Love endures all things, hopes all things, believes 
all things. And I can't think of a better account in Scripture than the birth of Jesus to display all of that and more. Can you imagine in Joseph's day? I mean, do you realize how cultural virginity was? Do you you realize how binding engagement was? I mean, on the wedding night, they would hang the bed sheet out the window with a bloodstain to verify the woman's virginity. And she's pregnant, and they're not even married. Can you imagine the scandal? She should have been killed. But Joseph was going to put her away quietly and in a dream, and it must have been some stinking dream. Because everything that he was raised with said, get away from that woman. She's an evil, she's a wicked woman. God says, take her as your wife. Can you imagine that dream? Because what is within her is from God. Can you imagine? Wrap your head around that one. The child in her is from God. Pretty much in essence, Joseph, take Mary as your wife because God got her pregnant. And as a teenager, he was good with it and got up, knew that it was God, and he, and he did it. remarkable people. And they weren't 50, 60, 70 years old that, that had discerned God's voice for years and years and years. They were teenagers. But in that culture, they were adults. Amazing, amazing people they were. I don't know why, but it seems that we always miss the miles in the message. Come on, Pastor, just get us there. And we always miss the miles. We always miss the miles in the message. We always miss the miles in the testimony. We seem to always miss the miles. And I'm asking you, don't miss the miles. Don't read the account of Jesus' birth and miss the miles. And don't miss the miles in your life. Be grateful for where you are in the journey right now. Be grateful that you didn't get everything that you wish you had right now. Be grateful. God's growing you into it. He's growing you into your destination. He's growing you into it, and we all have to grow, don't we? I don't know about you, but we always want to skip the process and the journey, but I don't know about you, but it was a series of events that led to my conversion, and I'm grateful for every minute. I'm grateful for every month. I'm grateful for every mile that led to my conversion. My mother's death when I was 18 years old seems like a tragic thing, but it sped my conversion up. It sped my conversion up because everything kind of revolved around my mom. And when you grow up in a large Polish Catholic family, mom's the hub and everything revolved around mom. And I was the baby in the family, six years difference from all of my other siblings. And they gave birth to me when they were 43 years old. And so I was mama's little pride and joy. And when I found her dead when I was 18 years old, my world was spun upside down because I was pretty much doing whatever I wanted to do and, and thinking that I was having a great time doing it and never saw anything like this happening. You know, that happened to real old relatives and it didn't happen to your mom who was 61 years old. And so all of a sudden now my world's turned upside down and I began thinking about things at 18 that I never would have thought about before. And all of a sudden life got real serious now. And so what seemed like tragedy sped up my conversion and looking back I'm so grateful I'm so grateful and I knew that my mom knew the Lord before she died I'm grateful for it I'm grateful for every minute every month every mile similarly when you love Jesus he doesn't seem so 
far away. He doesn't seem so far away. I want to encourage you to go with me to John's Gospel. And once you get your candles out, how about if I light the ends of the aisles and you guys pass along? We're going to hope this works out. This is my well-thought-out plan. chapter 1 and I want you to notice what it says here and these are birth of Jesus scriptures I'll read it as you're sharing your light John 1 9 it says the one who is the true light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness, and we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son, I love verse 9. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. How fitting that we celebrate Jesus' birth as the one who is the true light, who gave light to everyone in the world with candlelight at the end of the service today. Isn't it beautiful? Where there is light, there is no darkness. Whether minutes, months, or miles, rest assured, God is the author and he's the finisher. And even though the decision belongs to us, the distance always belongs to God. We can make plans, but the timing belongs to God. The commitment belongs to us. The course belongs to God. We surrender. He saves We ask, he fills. We pray, he answers. We reach out, and he responds. And all this began with God initiating through a virgin birth, his love for us all. He came as a light into the world. Not just so that he would shine, but so that he could give his light to all who would believe he gave the right to become children of God. I hope that every time we see a candle lit this Christmas season, we think of Jesus. We taught our children this little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Promise not to let Satan blow it out.
Scripture says don't hide it. It's meant to shine. Notice how light shines best and brightest in darkness, though as Christians we seem to want to stay away from it the most. Could it be that God's called us? Those workplaces that seem so dark, could he have called us there? Those neighborhoods that might seem so dark, could he have called us there? Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. You're called there. And you know what you're called to do? You're called to to shine. And light shines best and brightest in darkness. You know what? The more you hang around a bunch of other light, doesn't seem like your light is that significant but as soon as you're around a bunch of darkness all of a sudden your light is looked to it's needed and light shows a way that cannot be seen because it's dark every Christian is a leader because of the light that's within them every Christian they show a way they show a way and I want to pray that you would have the courage that it takes to shine the light of Jesus Christ you could have been raised in a Christian home I'm a first-generation Christian. I went to church, but I didn't know about a living God. I didn't know about a Jesus that could come into a heart if people prayed and asked. I'm a first-generation Christian. I don't know about you. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home. Before the new year, I challenge you to share your faith with somebody. Ho, 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 ho. I challenge you to share your faith with a family member who doesn't know Jesus. Oh, no, you didn't. Oh, yes, I did. Doggone it, share your faith with somebody. Don't scold them. Don't tell them they need to get saved. Share your story. Share your light. What happened when Jesus came into your heart? Where would you be if it wasn't for Jesus Christ? I would be drunk. I would be hungover from snorting coke and smoking weed if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. That's where I would be. And I have no idea what my health would be like at 55 years old. I certainly wouldn't be the fine, good-looking, bald, slightly overweight 55-year-old that I am right now. So, man, I'm grateful. Man, I wish it would have been before 20, but I'm so grateful I got saved at 20. In just a few days, it'll be 35 years for me walking with Jesus. Oh, my gosh, I'm grateful. I'm so grateful. And at times the journey was long, but who really cares? I'll take a saved long journey over an unsaved short journey any day. Church, don't look for the shortcut. It's been said the longest longest distance between two points is a shortcut. Don't look for the shortcut. Be willing to suffer a little bit long. It's all right. God's in it. God's in it. I want to pray over you as we close and just want you to have the most amazing Christmas ever, not because of what you get, because of what you give.